In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I saw a church with a sign and a slogan on it as I was driving uh, yesterday, and it said, uh, Come as you are. Come as you are. It was nice, and the idea is to welcome people. And we can see how Christ definitely received people as they were. The tax collector, the harlot, the prodigal son, the blind person, the mute, the demon-possessed, the woman with the flow of blood, the Samaritan woman, everyone, sinner or saint, they came as they were, according to this sign, and Christ received them. Christ received everyone, though, with one purpose in mind, to change them. His first words in his ministry, when he started, after he was baptized, after he went to the desert, he came back, and what were, what were his first words? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that word repentance means to change. Metania in the Greek, it means to change your direction, change your thinking. Change your focus. Change your attitude. Change your way of life. Change your idea about what life is. Change your idea about what happiness is. Change your idea about what are the necessities in life. Change your idea about what you think is power. Change your idea about what you think is health. Change your idea about what you think is important. Change your idea about what you think is urgent. Change your idea about what you think is meaningful. Everyone had to change because no one <clears throat> could have any of what I just said without Christ. You couldn't have the right idea of what was necessary. You couldn't have the right idea of what was meaningful. You couldn't have the right idea uh, of what was happiness. You couldn't have the right idea of what was health even. You know, we, we look and see who was healthy and who was sick, who was blind, and who wasn't blind? For example, the blind man. The blind man, Christ heals and tells to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Afterwards, he says to the, to the Pharisees, he says, because you say you see, your sin remains. It would have been better for you to be blind, and then you would have seen, and you would have understood like this blind man who saw Christ and knew Christ even before uh, the Pharisees did, who could see, actually see. And so even our idea of health changes. So this idea of change is an important part of the gospel. Many people have said it this way, and I've said it here many times. There's only one door into the church. And that is the door of repentance. There's no other way to come into church and to be part of the church community without going through that door. 
There are different ways that we try to get people to come to church. But is it the door of repentance? We could have people coming because we have great food afterwards. We could have people coming because we have lots of activities. We could have people coming because it's a great Sunday school program. We could have people coming for any of to see their friends, whatever it is. But those that come to the door of, of repentance enter into the church. Those that do not, don't know what the church is about. And here is a wonderful uh, example in the Gospels. The Gospel today offers us a perfect example of how to change. Uh, and before we get to the Gospel, did you notice the words that were repeated in the Psalms? I'll, re I'll say the words, the Psalms of last night, the Psalm of this morning, and the Psalm that we just had. Last night, Psalm 127, 128. Blessed are all they that fear the Lord, who walk in the, His ways. May the Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Psalm 40 from this morning, Psalm 40, 41. Blessed is the man who thinks on the poor and needy. The Lord shall deliver him in an evil day. May the Lord preserve him and keep him alive, and bless him on the earth. Psalm, this morning Psalm, or the, or the Psalm that we just read with this Gospel, Psalm 118, Psalm 119. Blessed are the blameless in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that search out His testimonies. They will diligently seek Him with the whole heart. This idea, the, you heard the word, right? Blessed, blessed. The word blessed means happy. I mean really happy, really content, really uh, fulfilled. That's the word, like the, the meaning of the word blessed. Someone who feels blessed is satisfied. Someone who feels blessed... Is, is, is filled with joy, right? How do we feel blessed? How do, we, how do we become blessed? It's not when I own a lot of stuff or I have a lot of materials. It's not when life is going perfectly. Blessed, who's blessed? The one who thinks in the poor. Who's blessed? The one who fears the Lord. Who's blessed? The one who keep, walks in the law of the Lord. This is the one who feels blessed doesn't matter what's happening outside of my life. It matters how my attitude is towards God. Because that is the source of blessing. That is the source of joy. That is the source of happiness. Our society wants to convince you that you can be happy if you own certain things. You can be happy if you do certain things. You can be happy if you are living in certain places. All of this is what we think will, will make us happy. What Every commercial is trying to sell you happiness. Every commercial that you see on TV is trying to sell you, not just you, your animals too as well, and your car, and your everything, just so that everything is going well and everything's perfect, and that the car's happiness is going to be your happiness, and the dog's happiness is going to be your happiness. All of this is what, is what society is trying to, to sell us. But that's not the source of happiness. Nothing outside of us. And, and, the, and the youth and the people that get convinced that drugs are going to give them happiness or that uh, certain relations are going to give them happiness or alcohol or whatever it is, that is not going to be a source of happiness. This happiness comes from the person who's blessed. And that's where Jesus says, your idea of happiness is completely reversed. In the Old Testament, the Jews thought the one who was blessed was the one whom God blessed with wealth and, and the one who was given everything. That's why when Jesus said, the rich... Woe to you rich, you know, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. They're like, what are you talking about? The rich person is the one that's been blessed by God. He said, no, 
That's not what is makarius. That's not what is blessed. That is not what the happiness that comes from above. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they persecute and revile you. That doesn't sound like a blessing. That doesn't sound like a blessing at all. And this is why we have to change. And Christ gives us this wonderful example today. The, the disciples asked him, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? A good question. We have to ask this. Who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Sometimes we just want to get into heaven. Whatever. I don't want to be great. I just want to be there. It's better than the other place. Let me just, you know, the least, the last person. I'll be okay with that. And that's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong mentality. That's, that's the mentality of um, a husband telling his wife, what's the least amount of work I have to do to make you happy? What's the least amount of work times that I have to talk to you? How much? Five minutes a day, is that enough, right? Disaster. <laughs> it's disaster in a marriage. It's disaster in our life with God. It's a disaster. We have to, as much as possible, seek out to be greatest. And that doesn't mean filled with pride. That doesn't mean, ah, oh, people are going to sing my praises. No, that means close in our relationship, deep in our relationship with God. And he says, how, how can somebody experience that depth? How can somebody experience that close relationship with God? And Christ puts in their presence a child. A child. And, and for those of you who have dealt with children, you have to understand that Christ is not saying the child in all of their, uh, all of their characteristics, right? Our children, generally, are children obedient? No, you have to teach them to be obedient. Generally, are, are, are children uh, content with what they have? No, you have to teach them. Are generally our kids thankful? No, you have to teach them to be thankful. All of that stuff uh, has to happen. The child can be not an icon of a good person, especially kicking and screaming and tantrums and all of that stuff. This is not what Christ is speaking about, to become like a child. But there is an aspect which we can differentiate between child, childlike and childish. Childish is negative. Childlike is what we're trying to focus on here. And so Christ puts before us this real life example, but he doesn't give it to us as a suggestion. Listen to how he says it. He doesn't say, you know, if you want to be great into the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, I got an idea for you. You know, just hang out with children, look at them. You'll see some good examples in them. No, he doesn't say that. He says something very strong. He says, assuredly, I say to you. That means there's no negotiation. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, and that's that word, matanya, change, turned, unless you are converted and become as, as little children, that's, that means no exception, unless you do this, you will by no means, that means completely, no negotiation, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So there, this is not just a suggestion, this is not a good idea, this is the path into the kingdom of heaven. And so what does it mean for an adult to become like a little child? What does it mean for an adult to become, uh, to have these virtues of little children? And I know that we've heard 
many sermons on the virtues of children and what we're supposed to learn. And Christ himself, in the next verse, he says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's no formula to what that means, humbling oneself to become like a little child. It's not something that I can fake. It's not something that I can go through the motions. It's something inside. There was a story about a monk who was young. He was a young monk, and it seemed that he had uh, arrived or achieved at a level of humility that was beyond his years, that he was too young to be this humble. And, uh, and so the monks started to test him. They call him names, give him difficult tasks, make him do things or say things about him that, uh, you know, it's not, not nice to see if he'll react, to get him angry, to, to sort of see what's going on. And, uh, and he, didn't, he, he didn't even react to any of those. And so then uh, they sent somebody to him to just sort of pick his brain, figure out what's going on, how, how is it that he could do this. So they sent another person to him, ask him, how is it that you didn't react to all of those monks when they were saying those names about you and, and talking about you in such a way? And he said, what, those monks? I don't even pay attention to those dogs. And immediately they realized this isn't humility. This is something uh, completely opposite of humility. He has a pride of thinking himself better than these people and he doesn't even pay attention to them. Humility is not something that can be faked. Humility is something inside. Another story by Saint, about St. Saint Serapion in the deserts in the 4th century. A monk comes to him and uh, so Saint Serapion, uh, so the monk comes to his cell and St. Serapion invites him. Uh, read the Bible with me and offer your, your meditations. So he says, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to, to offer my meditations. And so he says, okay. So they sit down on the ground and um, St. Serapion offers him like a, a mat, a little rug carpet for him to sit on instead of on the ground directly. He says, no, 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 I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Let me just sit on the ground. And then he says, okay. You know, and he says to the monk, maybe it's better for you just to stay in your cell. Don't leave it. Don't be walking around. Just stay in your cell and let the cell, you know, kind of teach you everything, which was a, which was a, a common teaching. And the monk got angry and livid and, and was very upset. And so St. Serapion says, said to him, it's one thing when you blame yourself and it's one thing when you kind of say something about yourself, I'm not worthy I shouldn't be doing this. It's one thing. But when somebody else says something to you and you don't tolerate it, this is what you have to learn. This is what you have to understand. This is what humility is. One is false humility. False humility is a big deal. We, false humility is a, is, is a disaster. False humility is um, what we often find and we don't see the true humility that you see in a child. Whereas a child you can correct a child. And there are certain children that there's more pride in them than not, but mostly, most of the time, if you correct the child, that child will change. Easily malleable. Easily changeable. When we're, we're supposed to be clay in the hands of, Christ, of God who is the potter, in order for you to 
make clay uh, malleable and to shape it and reshape it has to be wet. Has to be wet. And that's what we find in kids. We can make a meditation about the water being the Holy Spirit, but even just, just think about it as, as just wet and dry. As we get older, we get more rigid, less malleable, less able to accept uh, a word of advice or even a word of blame, less able to accept that we are wrong in something. And how can we enter into the kingdom of God if we think we're good enough for the kingdom of God? If we think we have a place in the kingdom of God? And what does the liturgy teach us? And how does the liturgy teach us to become as little children? There's so much that what we do here, the children get and understand faster and quicker than the adults. Or I should say that the children understand it and the adults forget it. The children hear and are attentive or are able to understand what's going on faster than uh, or, or in a way that's more receptive than what the adults are seeing and understanding. There's something that happens between our childhood and our adulthood where we, we lose these qualities. And it's a, it's, a real, it's a real issue that each and every one of us, especially myself, has to understand. Something in us becomes calcified, hardened, to just hearing the Word of God and to do it, and to do it with joy, and to be able to do it quickly. When we think about it, the qualities of a child, if we just step away from humility, and with humility comes obedience. Those two are together. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, uh, um, if you've ever seen this, I mean, I don't imagine it's going to happen much longer as the generations grow in the United States. But if you're in Egypt and you get to a door and there's you and another priest, right? It's like, go inside. You, you first. You first. No, 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 you first. No, you first, right? You've seen this, right? Sometimes at, at, at a breakfast or a dinner or anywhere, we have two priests, they're arguing over who's going to pray for, for just, but there's a way to break it. There's a way, and I, I figured this out, and I, I'm very happy about this, where I say obedience is more important than humility. Obedience is higher than humility. So instead of saying, no, no, you, no, you, if I say you pray, or if, or if the other person says to me, pray, I pray. Or if I see the other person pray, and they, they pray, you know, this is how we break that so obedience, but obedience helps us to be humble because obedience is doing what we don't want to do. That's obedience. If I do what I want to do, that's not obedience. Then I'm following my own will, again. But if I truly am obeying the other person, then that obedience teaches me the humility. And, and God ordains our life and He puts in our lives people to teach us humility and to teach us obedience, which is not a bad thing. We have first our parents, and we have to learn to be obedient to our parents. We have to learn to be obedient to our teachers. We have to learn to be obedient and humble to our uh, employers. Then we have to learn to be obedient and, uh, and, and humble to our spouses. And then we have to also learn obedience and humility even when it comes to our children. We have to see and understand in the middle of the night when you're 
extremely exhausted and tired, and there's a child that calls you in the middle of the night to help you, whether it's uh, a drink of water or something that happens in the middle of the night, you don't want to do that, but out of obedience to your responsibility, almost out of obedience to the child, you go and you help that child with what, you, with what they need. This is extremely important to understand that relationship. All of this, and, and by the way, as we get older, sometimes we're given sickness. Not, not that God wants to give this to us, but we can use sickness as a way to learn this, this lesson of obedience and humility. And so in all that we do, we can see that God is teaching us and helping us to become like little children. Now I mentioned what we do in the liturgy. Let me just real quick talk about three other things. Joy, love, and joy, love, and forgiveness. This is something that we have to learn from children. Joy, love, and forgiveness. Children can understand this very easily. There's a pure joy that comes from a child and that we see in a child. As opposed to when we get older, we de derive our joy not from that which is simple, from that which is easy. We derive our, I don't want to say even the word joy, we get pleasure, whether it be from our passions, whether it be from what we own. It's not, a, it's not joy. And then that ability to love unconditionally, a child is able to do this easily. But as we get older, that love and that ability to love gets broken. And then forgiveness. A child, once freely and quickly, uh, can give forgiveness right away. Um, but when we get older, it's something that we find ourselves demanding or, 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 or you know, finding it hard to forgive the other person, but maybe seeking others to forgive us more often than not. But it's here in the liturgy that we learn to get past all of those. Or we learn to redevelop those. Joy, love, and forgiveness. Have you ever seen the little children at the end of the liturgy, after this marathon, right? And all they, all they, how happy they are with, they just get sprinkled with water. Or they get a piece of bread. Lo'met. Uh, you know, arepi or ulugeya, whatever it is, the, the bread. But this gives them joy. How many, when was the last time you were happy when you got sprinkled with water? On a hot day. On a hot day? Well, are you worried about your hair? Are you worried about what you're wearing? Are you worried about what are you, I mean, all of this anxiety comes with a little bit of water. Like, who's sprinkling water? I mean, what's, I lived in New York City. You know, you, you walk and the water that comes from above, if it's not rain, you don't want to know what it is, right? <laughs> is it an air condition? I hope it's an air conditioner from, you know, whatever. But generally, it's not clean, right? Uh, so this idea of the joy that comes from these little things, the joy that you can give children a couple of sticks and a few rocks, and that's something that they can play with for a couple of hours, especially if there's nothing to do. Right? Whereas we, we, we ourselves, where do we get our joy from? How can we be joyful in the presence of God? What we see the children able to do here, you see them focusing sometimes on the, on the icons, focusing sometimes on the incense. Uh, definitely, it it's, can be long for them, but at the end of the day, they're not like, that's the last time I'm going to church, right? At the end of the day, they walk out and it's, there's a sense of joy within them. 
And so as a real human, as a real adult, if you want to be really truly an adult, you have to be converted to become like little children. We have to simplify our lives again. Simplify our lives again to understand what is it that I can have that is uh, in the liturgy that brings me joy. When we come as, as to church, we worship God with our eyes. We worship God with our ears. We worship God with our uh, sense of touch. We worship God with our noses. How is that? Because when we're smelling God, that's part of the worship. When we're seeing uh, the icons and, and what's happening, that's part of the worship. When we're hearing and listening, that's part of the worship. When we're praising and partaking of the body and blood, that's part of our worship. Some mothers get frustrated because they might be walking, following their kids outside during the entire... And fathers. And fathers, I want to that smooth. They get frustrated following their kids outside and I didn't get to pray. I didn't get to stay in church. And we always tell them that you worshipped God with your feet today. You offered God service. You know, this is important. This is important that it's not just about me coming and there's no distraction and I'm gonna be, everything's going to be quiet and, and, and we're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. No, we have to offer service in a different way. And sometimes it's in the way that we don't want to offer service. But this is acceptable unto God. Again, there's an obedience there and there's a humility that we have to understand and we have to be able to, to um, interact with. Uh, and that humility and that obedience comes through the practices that we learn in the liturgy. Children become for us almost like a, a, a litmus test. A litmus test, a test to see um, what ought we to be happy in, or how ought we to react to others, or how are we supposed to love other people. When it comes to uh, forgiveness, you know that kids are able to fight and then forgive each other and then get back to playing again very quickly. Your parents or parents might discipline a child and the kid doesn't lose love and respect for that parent. As long as it's you know, not too extreme. Over time, a kid can. But the idea is that a kid can understand what is, the, what is at the heart of this message. What is at the heart of what is going on. And for this reason, it's important to stay and be around children. And of course, it's important for the church to have children, to serve children. All of this is not, I'm not going against what M. Basrapian said last week. This is in addition to what M. Basrapian was saying last week. It's not about whether they're here or not here. The presence of children becomes for us lessons for us, icons for us, teachers for us. How many of us can accept that what we have to learn is in a child under the age of four, in a child under the age of five? How many of us can accept that? Right? It's, it's sometimes tough. And then how many of us can emulate that? How many of us can actually act and react in that way? How many of us can, can uh, take that example and live with that humility in our lives? Somebody tells us, we're going here, we're going here. Some of us, we're doing this, we're doing this. 
You know what I mean? Like instead of us saying, no, no, I don't want to do that. No, no, that's boring. No, no, this is too much. No, no, I don't have time for that. No, no, let's, let's find somebody to be obedient to and learn obedience. Let's learn to love in a way that the children love without strings attached, without strings attached, without conditions. They love you because you love them. And then also when it comes to forgiveness, um, we have to be, if we can, taking their example to learn to forgive and forgive quickly. There's so much more that we can go into about children. How, how their dependence on you or on their parents or on their adults ought to reflect, we ought to reflect that dependence on God. A lot of us feel independent. A lot of us feel that we have what we've made, what we've created, we can take care of it. Uh, and we thank God that we can take care of it. But if it wasn't for the mercy of God and His love and His continual grace, we would be nothing. We would have nothing. We would go nowhere. You can walk out of here today and before you get to your car, your, your life can be turned upside down. Everything that you thought you had can be completely taken away. A child doesn't think and doesn't have that anxiety. A child lives day, moment to moment, happy with what is here. Happy, for the most part, I'm using generalities, but happy with what, what we have, content with what we're doing right now. Not thinking about, what's, what am I going to eat for dinner? What am I going to have tomorrow? Is there, is there anything that I have to worry about for tomorrow? Our minds are, are, are not here most of the time. Wherever here is, our minds are not here. Our minds are someplace else, thinking about what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And our, we're always living in the future, never in the present. Again, another thing that we can learn from children. Uh, the independence and the interdependence as well as the learning to be independent. Let me tell you one last thought. As much as we are to learn from children, we also have to protect children. Protect children. Uh, Christ says to us, whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, be better if a millstone, millstone probably size of this whole area right here millstone tied around your neck and for you to be cast into the sea and drowned. Now that's not normal talk from our Savior. He's not one to say negative things like this. But if he says something like this, it means that it is extremely important for us to protect our children. Protect them from anything that can take away their innocence. There is a point in time where a child's innocence is taken away, where they start to see the real face of what it means to be uh, surviving in this world. They start to see the ugliness. And if they're not at that point where they can handle that spiritually, it ends up destroying them. And so not only if I have children, I have to protect them, but I also have to be in the society fighting against those things which are taking away the innocence of the children. Many of you might, might hear about, oh, they're going to put in some you know, terrible uh, health, uh, sex education for children in the, uh, in the schools here in California. If you don't have children, it doesn't mean that this is not your battle. This is part of our battle. We have to protect 
the innocence of children. Uh, and there's so much more that goes into this, even just watching the news in the presence of children or listening to the radio in the presence of kids. There's so much on there that we, for us it's not a big deal, but it really can shock them and take away something from them that will never be returned. We have to take this also seriously. The causing of somebody else to, to stumble. And it doesn't have to be child. Causing any other person to stumble in their faith is a great sin. We all have to depend on each other and we all are affecting each other. Sunday school teachers aren't the only ones that teach. Everyone in the congregation is teaching everyone in the congregation. You know, we grow up and we call anyone that was older than us uncle or tant. And that's to mean that we are in a relationship with this person. And we're not the only people to do this. You go, I, I lived in Hawaii for a while. And Hawaii, your neighbor was auntie and uncle. This was something that was just among these, these small groups of people. But for us, that's important, that relationship. So if somebody calls me uncle or even just somebody in the church, I'm in a relationship with that church. I can't cause that person to stumble. I need to help protect that kid's innocence. And when I start to understand my service in the church, it's not me coming and then leaving. I have to offer something. I have to do something. And when you do something and you're around the children or you're helping out with the, with the services, this is a benefit to you as well. And you start to see things and understand things more about your relationship with God, your relationship with your brother and your sister. We have this interdependence that also, as children, they grow up in a family. They can't grow up, be born, and then, and then survive on their own. They're dependent. But also there's an interdependence. And we have to be... In the same way, understanding our dependence and interdependence with one another. I'm telling you, there's a lot here. It's not just be humble, be kind, be quiet, be whatever, be joyful, be happy. There's a lot that goes into understanding the psychology and, the, and, and, and what it is about children that, that Christ sees as necessary for entering into the kingdom of God. We thank God for children. We thank God that we have them around us as icons of Christ. And we ask our Savior to give us opportunities to learn from children and to become like children. We ask Him to give us the ability always to open ourselves up to learning. Another thing just came to me, and I'm sorry about this. It's very difficult as you deal with older the older generation. This is just to kind of give you an idea that, you know, when you get older and you get more stubborn, when in fact, when you get older and you should be listening to the younger generation a little bit more. You know, when, when uh, uh, whether it be your parents or that generation, even though it's normal for somebody to say, oh, they're getting older and more set in their ways, I'm telling you now before you get older, <laughs> more set in your ways, to understand that sometimes it's, it's better to be patient and to be more obedient to what other people are telling you to do. To understand that some people have your better interests in mind. Some people are trying to help you, uh, whether it be in your life or in your tasks. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but... Uh, when you know you have elderly parents living an hour or so away from their children or friends or community or whatever 
and they refuse to move, right? I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but these are the things that maybe we can see something about being as little children. Maybe there's something here that can help understand that relationship, understand the respect, but also understand the relationship between the older and younger generation. May our, our, our Savior give us wisdom to understand how to become as little children. May He give us wisdom also to protect the little children from falling into sin. May God guide us into His kingdom and may we all seek to be great in the kingdom of God. To Him be the glory, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, now and every age of all ages. Amen. Amen.